so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! everybody and welcome to episode 38 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. I'm a friend and neighbourhood host, Mr. Andre Harrison. And with me, as usual, we have our esteemed American, well, one half of them anyway, Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yeah, yeah, it's looking a bit awkward. Am I going to get replaced? Because I have a feeling the show is only big enough for one American. <laughs> we f- we thought of this last time. Like last time, this 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 particular special guest was on. Johnson feared for his job. That that that's probably a testament to how great a podcaster she is. But uh, I'm very glad to be able to welcome back. Who filled in at 24 hours notice? Because we found out. Oh, we just happened to be down one producer this episode. <laughs> but she she's she's very um very um she's she's awesome. I'm so glad she's able to step in. Welcome back, Miss Sarah Connors. Everybody, hello, Sarah. Hello, friends. How are you guys doing? We are we are panicking, but we we, we managed to hobble together this <laughs> podcast at the, at the eleventh hour, and I'm very happy about that. So, uh, we are delighted to have you back, and uh, awesome to have you back in the month of May as well. Because of course, being Indy five hundred seasons, we like to call it. Uh, we'll be talking a lot more about that, obviously, in the coming weeks. But uh, how excited are you for Indy, Sarah? Aren't you going to this year's one as well? I am. I'll be at the Indy 500. I'm actually panicking because, like, okay, you go to a race and, you know, you pack kind of the same thing every time. You know, all your race shirts, all your cameras and everything. But this is the Indy 500. Right, right. Like, I, I'm I'm overwhelmed. And also, I'm worried <laughs> that, like, I have to start planning my packing now. Now. Wow. Uh, because... So are, you go- are, you going for- are you going for the Grand Prix of Indy as well, or is it just for the 500? It's just for the 500, but it's, okay. I mean, it's such a big deal of a race that, you know, I want to make sure I have everything in order. We're camping as well, so, oh, wow. you know, there's oh, wow. that to add on top of it, and yeah, it's 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 a little more stressful than your usual race, um, but it should be fun. It should be a lot of fun. Our seats are really cool, so... Awesome, awesome. Uh, p- please, g- we'll have, you know, how about we have you back on in June and you can talk about the experience, because I think that would be fantastic. You know what? Um, if I have time in June, I would love to. But we're also doing Detroit and Montreal in June, so oh, we'll see. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> it's kind of a packed the season's over then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll come back in September. Yes, <laughs> yes. We'll settle, we'll settle that we'll settle then. That. But uh, of course, great to have Sarah back on the show. Check her out on the Grid Girls podcast if you haven't already. Friends of the show, they do a great job over there. As as as, as every week, they'll, they'll talk about motorsport and American stuff as well, because that's what Sarah's is. It's the brand, after all. Yeah, this, this is the most American this podcast has ever been. So I feel like we're actually helping uh, Anglo, Anglo-US-Russian Anglo relations right now by talking about Sochi for the next hour or so. Uh, so uh, on this episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about, obviously, the predominant dominant uh, story of the weekend, obviously, was the Russian Grand Prix in Formula 1 as Nico Rosberg wins again, King. Hey! Yep, seven, seven, seven in a row. Seven in a row, his first Grand Slam victory, and holy crap, he now has a 43-point lead in the championship. 
could this actually happen for Rosberg this year? We'll be, we'll, be, we'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about Lewis Hamilton fighting back from 10th to finish in second place and his just horrendous luck as this season has gone on so far and why nobody is complaining about this whatsoever. <laughs> and of course, we're going we're to be all teasy by asking, can he still win the championship from 43 down? Ooh. Um, we'll be talking about Danil Kvyat, The uh... <laughs> I'm still laughing about this now. One uh, Just two weeks after his... Uh... A very famous deal with it uh, press conference response when Sebastian Vettel got got very annoyed with him in China. Two weeks later, what does he do? He plows into the back of Sebastian Vettel, which is bound to go wonderfully. So we'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about steward and inconsistency and Lewis Hamilton putting said stewards on blast for the two reprimands he's gotten this season, which could also come back to bite him down the road. We'll more about that in a bit. Also, speaking of Hamilton, uh, we've got to talk about conspiracy theories. Yay! Everybody's favourite part of F1. Um... Of course, the fact they were rubbished off off by Nicky Lauda and Toto Wolff, but of course Hamilton didn't exactly deny the darn thing when he was questioned about it. Great. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, Red Bull debuting their new aero screen as part of the uh, in- enhanced push for cockpit protection, and of course the polarizing views on that as ever. And the manufacturers have agreed on engine regs for 2017. Sauber are gritting their teeth over it, and the fuel for limit has now been increased. But all the Mercs guys are against that. We'll talk about that later. And we'll be talking about IndyCar and uh, sad news for our honorary Bostonian in the podcast today, as the actual Grand Prix of Boston has been cancelled. Bugger! <laughs> uh, uh, we'll talk about that as well and all that and most likely a lot more stuff on the Motorsport 101 podcast but let's talk first of all about the Russian Grand Prix and uh, King I think we were kind of due a stinker on this one weren't we <laughs> <coughs> oh god yeah uh, the Russian Grand Prix it, I it was an okay race like most of the excitement was during the beginning and the end like but it was a long, long middle to this Grand Prix, and it was... I wouldn't say it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't it great either. No, I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, Sarah, but I feel like I feel like we've been spoiled so far this season for good races. I think despite, obviously, all the political drama that's gone around F1 since the season started, I think the racing itself has, has been very good so far this year, so... It's a shame that Sochi kind of did what it was predicted and just kind of brought everybody back down the peg, wasn't it? I mean, I don't think you enjoyed the race particularly much on Twitter either, did you, Sarah? No, I really didn't. I mean, honestly, you know, obviously dragging yourself out of bed on a Sunday um, is difficult. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, st- the start of the race woke me right up. Of course. And then the rest of it slowly put me back to sleep. <laughs> um, which is not great, you know? And you're right. The first few races of the season were exciting enough that, you know, everyone kind of came into this weekend, and I think for the rest of the season, with a lot of really high expectations, um, mm. you know? Uh, I think one of the other issues in Russia was that they put this race in April in Russia. Mm. Of course, it's going to be cold. You're not going to have warm, you know, the the track isn't going to be warm. You're not going to have issues with tire degradation at all. Um, You know, that usually makes for a pretty exciting race. You know, the hot track tearing down these tires, you know. Um, One of the commentators on NBC said that there really was no option tire during this race. You know, the the addition this year of the three tires during each race um, made that, Mm -hmm. you know, strategy was a little interesting during the first three races where you could definitely have, you know, a choice of tires. In this one, the medium tire, you know, wasn't useful at all. So, no, so no. it's just, you know, 
why did you put this race in a cold country in a cold month? Because yeah. pe- people didn't have the perception that Sochi was a cold place. Because, it is! <laughs> because people had this perception of... Because during the Winter Olympic Games, they were like, oh, how are we going to have a Winter Olympic Games here? There's no mountains. It is sunny. This is not supposed to be a thing. <laughs> and, right, right. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, there's a difference between, oh, it's 40 degrees. How are we going to put snow here? And, oh, this place is warm. No, it's yeah. not. It's still goddamn Russia. <laughs> Honestly, I'm still surprised people were so shocked by that. I was like, people, it's Russia. They're not right. known for basking sunshine and warm weather over there. It's just one of those things. But I, I completely agree with what you're saying about the tyre situation there, Sarah. And um, I'm, I oh, still said, I said at the start of the year, I think this would have been the prime debut spot for the ultra soft tyre. And they, and they did not run it here because, I mean... When they first got here, like Nico Rosberg in 2014 was able to run 50 laps on the medium compound tyre and just go to the end of the race on it with no degradation at all because he set the fastest lap of the race on the penultimate lap after right. 50 laps on said tyre. So I thought this would have been a prime spot for the Ultra Soft to make its debut here, but nope. They ran I they mean, ran during... the Super Soft in a soft area again and it and it was you could do 20 laps on it. So like, what was right. the point? I mean, during qualifying, during qualifying, it took them like six or seven laps to get even temperature in the tyres. You know, that's that's not ideal at all. Yeah. And over on Sky, had Paul to rest this longing face, just looking out into the distance saying, I could probably no-stop this. Yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, I mean, Red Bull tried the mediums after the Turn 1 incident, and again, they were, they were taken off quite quickly because they knew it was just a completely dead tire to run. There was absolutely zero reason to run it. It's no coincidence that I think Merck's only brought one set for the entire weekend out of these new rules, and I think they brought like 10 sets of Super Softs, which just says a lot about uh, the, state of the, the state of the selections. I think Pirelli, again, I think we're too conservative on this one. I'd like to see them be more aggressive on tire choices in general because I feel like the ideal window for a race is two to three stops i think one stoppers tend to be quite boring strategically um so i'd like to see them have have it so that most weekends if not all weekends have a set of tires that could basically make the race two to three stops i think four i think is a bit too much i think we saw it in spain a couple years ago where they had four stoppers and it was just really confusing for the entire field because there was a pit stop every every three laps in in the middle periods of the races but um yeah i completely agree um the tires are a bit of an issue but uh let's talk about king's homeboy mr nico rosberg and uh Wow, the, the man is is single-handedly making history. He's now only the fourth driver in the history of the sport to win seven consecutive races. And uh, King, moment of pride there for your boy. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it, it hasn't sunk in yet. It's more like there's still a whole championship to go. I know he's like two races away from the record, but uh, Spain could be a hard one, and Monaco is great around there, but Lewis can be better yes it's it's more of not actually it 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 seems like an achievement but it doesn't feel like an achievement (laughs) yeah like i i I mean it's it's a weird one because people have been very snooty about this streak and um I know Hamilton was very critical of it by saying, oh, it's only really two races after the, you know, after Bahrain where Rosberg won there. And he said, it's only really two races, not not the last three because they don't matter anymore. But, you know, I swear they still put them in the standings anyway. But, yeah, um, I mean, and Lu- you know Lewis is going to be salty about it no matter what. 
Of course, because he's, he's just he's just that kind of hardcore, I really, 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 really hate losing kind of competitor. Yeah. So of course he's going to use anything he can to diminish another dude's achievement, especially his one and only title rival for the year. Um, but this is unbelievable, Sarah. Seven race wins in a row. Like I said, he's only the fourth man ever to do it. I mean, I think there's a Scarry, Schumacher, and Vessel are the other three. Um, mm. But um, my word, I mean, it's it's. I don't think we're giving this enough due, Sarah. I think winning seven is just outstanding it's 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 ridiculous uh, in, the, in the grand scheme of things don't you think <laughs> i think i think it would be more um it would sink in a little more if we actually saw him on tv every once in a while i know right <laughs> <laughs> you know you, you see him at the start and you see him at the finish and the rest of the race he's just kind of going by himself you know <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just the nature of he's doing this in such a fashion, and you know we we've all seen Hamilton's relative struggles, and of course he's more in the wars with the with the with the upper midfield, and Rosberg has just has won these so comfortably uh, for the most part. The we, 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 yeah, we never get to see him on TV anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think uh, a little more TV time for him would be nice. You know, I'm not asking for a lot. I'm just asking like maybe cut to him during the race to make sure he's not like doing his, his taxes or like having a snack or like you know doing any any number of other things he could be doing in the car while he's you know 20 seconds ahead of the rest of the pack you can't see but he's doing his post-race video blog in the cockpit during right, the race right. where, right? <laughs> a little selfie action you know yeah also King, did you see the like eight minute video blog he put up on his youtube channel after that yes. like, that was fantastic did you yeah. see Felipe, Felipe Massa's little cameo yeah, David Coulthard was fantastic oh. in that clip as well. Nice to see DC on, uh, on there being his usual very, very f- deadpan funny self. But uh, yeah, his first Grand Slam victory. His uh, I think that's his 18th career win now for Rosberg. That's 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 insane to have 18. Yeah, 18th, like 18th career win. I was actually surprised it was his first Grand Slam. Like this is the first time Rosberg has gotten fastest lap pole, led every lap, and won the race. I'm like, yeah, that has never happened. That's, like you, you think maybe it happened in China. Or is his first win where he completely dominated in 2012. Well, maybe it happened there, but no, I was absolutely right. I was like, really? That's only his first Grand Slam. Okay, but uh, yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about his teammate for a minute here. You know, the the everybody's favorite part of the podcast talking about Lewis Hamilton because we do it every sodding episode. But, uh, but uh, Lewis Hamilton started from 10th. Obviously, he was probably the biggest winner of the lap one tangle as he fought through you know almost almost got skewered by Sebastian Vettel's spun car but uh, he managed to come through um in fifth and I've got to say King like I think Hamilton was outstanding yesterday I think not people not enough people talked about it I think but again it's, it's of course we're going to be cynical about it because of the car reason and how great Lewis is we kind of expect it from it at this point but I, I was I was very impressed that you know Sochi's not really a passing track and yet he was able to get the moves done when he needed to get them done on Raikkonen and Bottas and you know he took a pretty comfortable second place in the end but uh, I think he, I think he did, I think he did a great recovery job again yesterday I think I think it kind of sums up his season I think more than anything else right now but uh, I think Hamilton was great yesterday what, what, do, you, what do you make of it King? Yeah, I mean, if Team LH can overcome the the voting, the, the internet voting machine that is Indonesia, I think Lewis Hamilton's going to win Driver of the Day. <laughs> he didn't. He went to Kevin Magnussen, funnily enough. Oh, yeah. <laughs> K-Mag got it for his 17th to 7th place drive in the Renault. So, uh, yeah, Renault's first points of the year coming from K-Mag, so congrats to him. Um, nice to see the internet darling get his little due there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, Sarah, let's be honest here. I mean... 
even if you're the one of those guys that you know just, just doesn't want to see Hamilton dominate for another year, it is kind of ridiculous the amount of crappy luck he's had. It's, it's just continued for another weekend. It's just it's just not going his way this year, is it? Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, I did think that his recovery drive from tenth to second was very good, especially where he easily could have gotten tangled up in a lot of that that crap at the start. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he avoided all of that was really great. Um, a little side note, you know who did not avoid all that at the start? <laughs> who? Speaking of Indonesia, our buddy Rio Harianto. <laughs> yeah, oh. Yeah. Oh, Rio Harianto was, Harianto was catching a flight back to Indonesia in the middle of that Grand Prix. <laughs> like, it was all over the back papers when I was when I was reading them at the job this morning. I was like, open to the F1 set. Like, the first, the headlining picture was Harianto's flying manner, and I'm like, that's... That's a shot right there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was a pretty yeah, amazing Poor old was caught. I think it was Esteban Gutierrez that caused the accident further back. That was yep. the other major incident that happened at Turn 1. Because, I mean, I, I, I predicted carnage going into someone because it's, it's the longest run to a Turn 1 on the calendar all season. It's, 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 it's almost a kilometre down to Turn 1 um, on that track. And it's, it's like, if you've seen Turn 2, it's, like, it's, a, it's a really crummy like early chicane because like, there's only really one line through there so it's notoriously hard to go through it side by side because you get, you're gonna run over the turn two chicane it's just the natural the, the natural nature of that corner but uh poor harry anto was uh taking flight but uh unfortunately you say poor harry anto. Yeah. i say <laughs> the opposite of that <laughs> so whatever, whatever. yeah let's yeah so speaking of that king Lewis Hamilton is now 43 points behind Nico Rosberg. And we talked about this last week, and I mentioned my my little handicap theory I came up with with Rosberg. And I said that the magic number I think Rosberg would would need to be ahead, I think, to win the title was 35 and a half. He's now 43. I may have to rethink my number because I'm still not convinced on this one, even though he's up 43. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason I was at first 100. Then I was like, 75. 75 sounds realistic. (laughs) It's like, you may have had a point on that one because I'm thinking about that. He's he's up 43. There's still, what, what, 16 or 17 rounds to go because it's a 21 race calendar this year. But, like... I think Hamilton can still very easily come back from this. I think oh, it would right. take one Rosberg DNF, I think, and all of a sudden we got a title race again. And, like, I, I, I spoke to a lot of Hamilton fans about this last night because that's what happens to me on the internet these days. I'm, 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 I carry the burden of the ham caper. Uh, but it's one of those things where a lot of people were curious, and I think a lot of people were very damning of Hamilton's chances at this point in time. I think a lot of people were automatically calling this title race over, and I thought that was a crazy thing to suggest, given the way that Merckx have been the last couple of years. King, do you think Hamilton can win from 43 back? I think he can. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a possibility, because he tends to be strong during the summer. The middle European Mm. races, he tends to be very well there, including, like, lump Canada in there, too. He, He loves Canada. He does. Who doesn't love Canada? If, if his car stays together, he will win races. Yeah, I completely agree. And Sarah, do you feel the same way about this? Because I, like, I, I feel like I think it's far too early to start saying that the title race is over with Rosberg, even with a forty-three point advantage at this point. I, I, I oh, think yeah. it's still silly to, to to rule out Hamilton, given he can win ten races a year easy. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I mean, wasn't um, Rosberg was ahead at one point in twenty fourteen? 
Um, yeah, yeah. Like, he had a significant gap over Hamilton, and we all saw what happened there. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, Sorry, I definitely, Daniel. I don't think you can, you can be sure of Rosberg winning this championship until he's actually mathematically won it. You know, Hamilton yes, is yes. that good where if he's not, if he's not out of luck, um, yeah, he's, he's got chances this whole season easily. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It's just, we, again, anyone that knows the Merck situation, I mean, Hamilton is the only driver ever in F1 to win 10 races in back-to-back seasons. Like, Hamilton will get 10 to 12 wins this season for sure. Rosberg's had six last year, he had five the previous season. Like, if Rosberg can turn those five wins into nine or ten, I think he's got a real chance. Um, but there's a lot of time left. And like I said, all it would take would be one DNF out of Rosberg's car, which, given Merck's reliability, is more than possible, in my opinion. Yep. And, you know, if Hamilton wins that race, it's an 18-point gap again, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, Hamilton's right there again. Normal yeah, service yeah, exactly. <laughs> So yeah, I, I think it's I think it's far too early. But you know, Hamilton fans, if you're listening to this, have some faith in your boy. Seriously, he's probably going to win the next three or four because he's very very strong in Spain, Monaco, you know, Austria. He's he's good round there. I mean, there's no reason why Hamilton can't rack up four or five in a row. He's that kind of driver where he can just do it and he can, he can make it look very very easy. Um, so for me, I don't see why on earth anyone's ruling ruling Hamilton out. Out so quick, uh, in my opinion. But uh, let's talk about turn one. <laughs> and let's talk about turn one on lap one. And the major incident going into there was, uh, you know, like people, like people. Like, okay, okay, got, this is my, this is my Vettel moment of the podcast, everybody. But um, <laughs> like I like people thought I was going to be really mad that obviously Kvyat, you know, gave Sebastian Vettel the pole driver into turn one by hitting him not once but twice. Um, <laughs> I was too busy laughing. I was laughing at just like the nature of it. Obviously, after after what happened in 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 China, and you know Vettel got very mad for seemingly no real reason at Kvyat, um, for Kvyat, you know, obviously hugging the apex and making a very solid pass, and then you know Kvyat was very much, oh, it's no big deal, or on the podium, you know, nothing happened, etc. And then one race later. <laughs> He gets it wrong into turn one, and he plows the one guy who was very, very angry about said accident. I mean, Sarah, like, there, there's something. There's, there's got to be something crazily ironic about that, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, no. I, I mean, if you thought Vettel was angry before, uh... <laughs> I've never, I've never seen him so angry in the nine plus years he's been in F one. Right, he's usually the kind of sarcastic, cheerful guy, and mm. now suddenly. No, not so much. Um, I do feel kind of bad for Kvyat, because if you watched him explain it, he seemed pretty upset, um, and almost mm. as if, like, he had kind of lost control of the car. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I do blame him, but... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I feel bad yeah, for him, yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, I think Kvyat locked his brakes in, in into the corner, and at that point, you're kind of guessing on what, what could happen next, and... It's a turn one incident. It happens every once in a while. It, like, like it's hard to get twenty-two race cars into one corner without some kind of contact, and even more so at Russia, which I said before, King. Turn turn two at Russia is awful. It's it's a, it's an awful corner. I hate it. I hate driving it in the in, on, on, in the actual games. It's awful. It's it's so easy for cars to just run it over and completely cut that first chicane and. 
Kvyat was the unfortunate uh, person to make the real mistake there, and Vettel was the real victim in all this, unfortunately, the poor guy. <laughs> yeah, it seemed that Kvyat got the run, in, run into turn two wrong, break too late, hit Vettel. Going around turn three, Vettel not being able to keep up with everyone else, Kvyat not knowing that Vettel was not going to be going that quickly, rear-ends him again and sends him off into the, into the tech pro barriers. <laughs> and it was just... Oh my god, it's like... Uh, it's like, this has not been a good two weeks for Russian racing drivers. First Nikita Mizefin, now Daniel Kvyat. <laughs> they can't get love anywhere. <laughs> the Russians have been slowly ostracized from the world of motorsports, and uh, yeah, Vela was he was heated enough in, in in China, but he was absolutely livid after that one. And like I've never seen such a foul mouthed rant on, a, on an F1 radio probably since Juan Pablo Montoya at Belgium all those years ago, where he uh, had some very choice words about Kimi Räikkönen back then. If, if, if you haven't know what, know what I'm talking about, find it on YouTube when you get a chance. Uh, but Vettel's uh, radio broadcast he... was the greatest thing I've ever heard. Though. Like, I I loved it. You know, and honestly, like, when they popped up his little, like, you, you know, you see the little icon that pops up when someone's going to come on the radio. I was kind of yeah. like, why is this coming up so much later than the actual incident? And oh, you know it, it why. probably because they had to put all the bleeps in. I mean, that was magical. Poor guy. It, it it was magical, like 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 concentrated swearing on oh, that yeah. level is an impressive feat to behold. Quite frankly, which I could do something like that when I was that angry. Um, but but, but yes. the finale was just glorious. Just what the f are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> For it was sake. like he was he, he he was channeling his inner willpower. It was hilarious. Like what are we doing here? <laughs> Oh, that was, it, it was glorious. Once again, Sebastian Vettel bringing the entertainment in a, in a, in a world of Mercedes dominance. But uh, yeah, shout out to Christian Horner as well for being very sympathetic towards him on the garage afterwards. Like, I'm sorry, man. What, like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> it was his fault, but uh, Kvyat seemed genuinely quite upset by the whole thing. I think he, he, he knew he messed up. The moment he saw the replay, I think he knew he knew what was going on. That was actually quite famously taken. But I think it was Will Buxton that took the original photo. And it, it, did, it did the rounds quite soon after. Afterwards, but uh, he was very um, abrasive regarding it in interviews afterwards, saying, you know, go on, at attack me. And it's like, well, okay. <laughs> it was your fault, man. There's no getting around it. But uh, he had to, obviously had to apologize. And uh, King, do you think he's in trouble? Because I know Sky were very quick to, to paint in the card about Kvyat, you know, potentially losing his seat now because... You know, Red Bull are looking for any excuse to give Max Verstappen a promotion by the sounds of it. So, of course, Kvyat making the one mistake is like, oh, we have an out. Let's get rid of let's get rid of the Russian now. <laughs> yeah, I feel like oh, I would Sky does so that so, so, all so. the time where they take a tiny little incident and make a giant narrative out of it. And it's so annoying. Welcome to Sky Sports F1, everybody. Oh, no. <laughs> it, 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 it's the ultimate in narrative shaping, more than anything else. And it, it took them less than twenty-four hours after the race to, to make to make the leap that uh, the talks of Red Bull bosses mean that Kvyat will absolutely, definitely be fired for Max Verstappen because, of course, it's like it's like it's like they've taken two and two and made twenty-two out of the out of the out of the, out of the following sum. It just doesn't quite go together. Um, but yeah, I mean, King, like I said. I don't think Kvyat sees under any risk at all. I think Kvyat's been fantastic since he since he's joined Red Bull. I mean, we, we still we still forget like last season he outpointed Daniel Ricciardo. Like we, like people don't talk about that enough, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I think I think it's a lot of the Verstappen hype. And I, if I had to say that Daniel Kvyat seats in trouble, I would say yes. But that's the same for almost like every Red Bull driver, and he still has an entire season to prove his worth. It's it's not nearly. It's in trouble, but he has so much time to prove his worth. Yeah, I mean, you don't promote a guy from GP3 and then put him in your main team after one season unless you think he's really, really good, quite frankly. So, and if anything, I think he's justified that level of belief so far since he debuted in Formula 1. I don't know how you feel about this, Sarah, but I think, like, Kvyat is a seriously talented kid, and... Um, I know a lot of fuss was made when John Eric Verne lost out twice on the opportunity to go to Red Bull because of other people, you know, going over. But um, I think Kvyat's been great so far in his F1 career. I don't know about you. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I don't think he would have the seat if he didn't have the skills to go along with it. Red Bull doesn't <clears throat> seem to make those decisions lightly. So, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, and I, yeah, he's got the whole season in front of him. He's made a couple mistakes early in the season. Um, yeah, obviously Red Bull probably want to get Max Verstappen into a better car, but, you know, uh, Kvyat's got a lot of time. He's got a lot of races left to go, um, and I would say that they're going to have a very difficult decision on their hands come the end of this year. Mm, yeah, I think that's going to be a real head-scratcher because their team is also young. Like Daniel Ricciardo is their, obviously their senior driver at 26. Yep. And that's not exactly old for Formula 1. I think that's just under the average age of the entire grid. Yep. I think the average is, is 27, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but Kvyat is still, what, 21, I think he is? And then you've got yeah. Carlos Sainz at 21 as well, I believe. And then you've got Max Verstappen at 19. I mean, somebody is going to get screwed here. It's obvious. Like, like three into two doesn't go. And I think Ricardo. I mean, he might get offers from elsewhere for a for a, a maybe a better seat if Raikkonen decides to, if they decide to move from on from Raikkonen. But I don't... But yeah, go on, go on, Sarah. From somewhere... We're not going to say where, but it's definitely Ferrari. Yep. <laughs> Who else could it be, really? I mean, yeah, let's be real. It's going to be Ferrari. More unlikely because obviously Raikkonen's about 162 years old at this point, and he's not really been very good for Ferrari since he's come back. But yeah. we'll mention that later in the year, I'm sure. But again, like I said, they have three really talented young drivers and only two seats in their senior car. And Daniel Ricciardo is a borderline elite level driver, in my opinion. So it's it's. It's not an ideal situation. It's it's like someone stuck a spanner in the conveyor belt and it's stuck and something's got to give to free it up. Um, I've I got, I got a feeling poor old Carlos Sainz is going to be the victim in all this here because Carlos is such a good driver and he's been so unlucky since his career started. But I think with the, the amount of resources invested into Max Verstappen, I feel like he's going to be the guy and no matter how good Carlos is he's going to miss out which is just kind of unfortunate really but uh bored hey. day. he's bored gonna day. get bored <laughs> get bored aid Sebastian Buemi Hami Algaswari there's, there's a list <laughs> with, with, with Red Bull sponsored drivers that have uh you know not necessarily had the chips fall their way unfortunately oh, John yeah. Eric Verne obviously being another one of course there's a list, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just kind of unfortunate, really. Speaking of Carlos Sainz, I mean, holy crud, did you see the fact he got a 10-second stop go in that race? I mean, I thought that was a ridiculous punishment, given that, you know, 
Kvyat got the maximum penalty possible, a 10-second stop-go for what happened with Vettel, but then Sainz gets the same penalty. I think that was a bit silly, King. I don't know, I don't know what you made of that. Uh, I, like, the only thing you could have, you know, besides a 10-second stop-go is disqualification, and that's a big jump. So Massive. I could see why, like, oh, 10-second stop-go, 10-second stop-go, because you don't want to disqualify someone from the Grand Prix. Yeah, ideally. I mean, I think that, that's a very extreme punishment. And uh, yeah, you're right. A leap from a 10-second stop-go to a drive-through is massive. Uh, not drive-through, sorry. A 10-second stop-go to a disqualification is massive. And I, I, I don't think that was DQ-worthy, even though, if I'm honest, if they DQ'd Kvyat for that, I probably wouldn't have complained. Um, but again, Carlos Sainz, the also it was revealed this morning that... Uh, he had a part of, uh, I think he had a part of somebody's car in his side pod radiator, which caused the car to overheat because Carlos Sainz cannot catch a damn brake. <laughs> <laughs> the poor guy just, just, just keeps getting awful, awful luck. But uh, speaking of stewarding punishments and whatnot, I came home from work. And when I came home from work, there was a very controversial uh, statement from Lewis Hamilton doing the rounds. Um, and we all know about Hamilton's rough luck he's had this year, and Sky Sports posted an article with the headline of Lewis Hamilton braced for 2016 grid penalty after ridiculous reprimand. And for those of us that don't know in the rule book, if you get three reprimands over a season, you get a 10-place grid penalty for the following race. Now, he had the first reprimand as a result of reversing in the pit lane in Bahrain, and that, that was obviously quickly laughed off. No big deal. No punishment there. He got a second one for driving over the turn two chicane in, in Sochi during qualifying. And uh, it's, 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 let's just say Lewis was not best pleased. Uh, here's his statement he made, and I quote, I'm just aware that there's most likely going to be at least one 10-place penalty in the future because I've got one more reprimand to go, the world champion said. The last one was bloody ridiculous. It's quite funny. When I was in karting, there was this one steward. He was just there to make everyone's weekend a bad weekend. And I'm starting to have reminiscent experiences. Families would turn up and spend so much money. Just, uh, just, just yeah, sorry. So much money for just there to be a weekend. There was this one guy. Complete asshole. this guy was. I heard he's still there. He was just there to ruin people's weekend. I'm starting to see signs of him. When asked which reprimand he was talking about, Hamilton replied he couldn't remember what the last one was. And he ended up saying both of them were ridiculous. Um, so, <laughs> basically, in case you couldn't read between the lines there, that steward in question that Hamilton was talking about was Emmanuel Pirro. Um, and it seems like a real statement of disrespect to call him a complete asshole like that in public. And... Um, yeah, King, where do you start with this? Because it's just, you know, Hamilton, I think he has a right to be a little bit miffed. I mean, I think the first one was a little bit crazy about the reversing in the pit lane. He had no idea where to go. And, you know, it's just one of those things. But, I mean, you can't go out and call a guy a complete arsehole like that. I mean, I think that's just completely unnecessary. <laughs> And I mean, out of all the people, too, it's like, hey, which one of the stewards? Oh, the driver's steward. Not only just, like, the driver's steward. Emmanuel Pirro, who's, you know, former F1 driver, he's won Le Mans five times. Like, he knows a thing or two about driving and the rules. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's like, you know, it's like, Emmanuel Pirro was only doing his job. Like, if Hamilton reversed in the pit lane, 
that's not allowed. You have you you have to go by the book and punish him in this case. I don't like I've said it before. The moment you open up discretion with the rules, you get problems. See Simon Pagano at Long Beach. I was literally for just going to bring that up. Oh my god. Trust <laughs> <laughs> me. If, if, if you listen to the episode we talked about it, Sarah, but we were all in favour of Pagano not getting punished for it. So, you yeah. know, it's one of those things where we're not being salty about it, we promise. No, no, no. It's one of those things where we were just like, this really isn't a big deal, everybody did it, it's just that Pagano's was in a really more extreme context right. in the and race, I mean, and we were just like... You can definitely yeah, go on, go on. like compare this directly to what Lewis is dealing with right now. The things no. that Lewis did are blatantly, you know, not things that you can do under this set of rules. Um, if you look at the Long Beach race, the things that, and I mean, Scott Dixon crossed the line with, with, you know, both of his right wheels as well, uh, earlier in the race, obviously it didn't have an effect on the end of the race, but if you don't call one, how can you not call both, you know? Um, Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and, and they don't, you don't see any of those guys lashing out at the stewards by name. You saw them questioning the decisions, but you saw them questioning the decisions of the stewards as a group. Um, I think it's, not great for Hamilton to start calling people out by name because like you said, yeah, once you, once you start, you know, bending the rules for one guy or, Oh, sorry, we, you know, we'll, we'll not do that to you next time. Cause maybe that was a little harsh this time. You can't do that. You can't bring that aspect of it into racing. Um, the rules are the rules and you know, everyone's human. Some things get fucked up every once in a while, but you can't, you know, you can't do that. You just can't do that. No, you you can't you can't call the steward an arsehole because he didn't like the rule book. That's just that's just stupid. It's like, it's it, it's it's it, it's silly. It's a bit like uh, blaming the policeman for 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 you breaking the law. It's just it's 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 just silly. You got but, caught. Um, it's your own damn fault. <laughs> exactly, but uh, you know, it's Lewis being Lewis. We know we all know what he's like. He's very outspoken when it comes to these things and. Uh, if I'm honest, it's not the first time we've shown immaturity in interviews and whatnot. It's just the kind of person he is. But uh, it didn't exactly help King when, after the Grand Prix, he didn't go out and exactly deny the prospects of a conspiracy theory at, at Mercedes. Because, you know, I, I don't like talking about these. I, really, I think the whole thing's just completely friggin' stupid. But a lot of fans on the internet genuinely believe that there is a conspiracy at Mercedes to have Nico Rosberg be world champion because, oh, it's a German team, dot, dot, dot. It's based in Brackley. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, don't, don't, don't tell anyone. Uh, but it's it's crazy. Like, you know, like, you know obviously the, the more important figures in the team, Toto Wolf called them lunatics and said it's just ridiculous. Nicky Lauder in his own eloquent way said it was complete bullshit. <laughs> and, uh, but Lewis Hamilton, he was openly baffled about why they felt the need to switch mechanics around and he didn't exactly deny the prospect of a conspiracy. Now, I I am of the impression that I think Lewis could have had a real chance to just shut it down right there and then because, let's be real here, Hamilton is the most popular driver in Formula 1 by a mile. He's got a very, very... What's the word I'm looking for here? Passionate fan base. We'll call it that. I'll be kind. Passionate <laughs> fan base. You know, I think they're going to take a source more from the horse's mouth than someone like Toto or Nicky Lauda, for example. So, like, what did you make of Hamilton's response to that question? Because I feel like it's a big missed opportunity here. <laughs> um. I would say missed opportunity or chance taken, depending on how you look at it. I have a mm. feeling that, you know, Lewis 
knows the power of social media. He he knows his fans reacts to to what he does and the team is definitely trying to shut it down. Like if you listen to Sky's interview with Toto Wolf, mm. it was a great interview. He goes into about uh, Pascal Verlein's relationship to the team and their relationship with Manor and how like the driver market is changing to what from what it used to be. Mm, like, David mm. Croft dropped the bombshell in it, like where he literally gave him questions from Twitter from fans saying that it was complete sabotage. And basically, Total Wolf just shut it down, and like he went, it was, you know how well spoken Total Wolf is. This is like yes. the closest you'll ever see him go into like rant mode, where he <laughs> said the team, the team had the ship parts overnight from Brackley. They all got up at 5 a.m. to work on Lewis's car. Like, if you think this is sabotage, you're insulting not only himself, the mechanics, but the entire team, that they care about Lewis, and they feel bad that they let him down. Can I just say, I loved Toto Wolf a hell of a lot more after that interview, and I already liked him in the first. I think he's a great team boss, and I think he's a great figure for F1 in general. Um, he's very honest. He's, he's not afraid to, to speak his mind, and, he, he, and he, I, I appreciate that with him. And again, he just shut the whole thing down right there and then, and he's absolutely right. It's a fact. They did fly out special parts to to facilitate the new engine uh, and the new fuel upgrade that they had for Hamilton's car on the weekend, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, Sarah, is this a matter of interpretation with Hamilton? Like, you know, is he trying to play some mind games here by saying, you know, maybe he's the victim in all this? I don't know if Hamilton's that clever or not, quite frankly, but I just feel like it, it, he's been very unhelpful in a situation where the team's reputation has been questioned by many people, needlessly, I may add, and... Hamilton is probably the most famous figure in that team. Most likely is. He is. I mean, how do you feel about the whole thing? You know, honestly, I I don't like to be one of those people that just you know craps all over Hamilton because you know I don't I don't really agree with that. On the flip side, you know, you're right. This team is doing damage control as much as they can. You know, they had issues with his car and they worked really hard to fix it. The fact that he doesn't go all in and compliment his team and like you know, give them props for doing everything they possibly can to get him onto the grid is insulting, to say the least. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I can't believe that he's not fully 100% aware of the way his fan base acts. You know, he's all over social media, he's all over Twitter, he responds to the fans so he can definitely see them replying to him. You know, he's aware, he's very aware of this. Um, And, you know, he had to know that saying the things he said would, you know, whip them into a frenzy. So, no, I really don't agree with his approach to a lot of things mm-hmm. that he's said this weekend. Um, and I can't imagine that his team is happy with it either, honestly. Yeah, I mean, Hamilton's basically, you know, thrown them onto a barbecue in, you know, when it comes to these comments by leaving that door open when it could have very easily been shut, yeah. quite frankly. And I can I completely agree. I mean, like Hamilton's like I like to think Hamilton's not an idiot. He's a he, he's not a, he's not a, he's not he's got a level of intelligence. I'm sure of that. And I've said it. The word I've used to describe Hamilton over the years has been naive. No, um, it's not. It's not naive. It's not naive. It's very. No. You're right. He's intelligent. It's very calculated because you know, if he were naive, he would believe his team and he would you know throw his support behind them, or he would just straight up trash them. He wouldn't be this careful to not say certain things 
knowing the way right. his fan base reacts. It's not nice. And, it's very intelligent. Yeah. It's very, you know, he's he's manipulating everything for his benefit. Let's put it to you this way. Given he has the biggest fan base in Formula One and the biggest influence on Formula One fans on Twitter, because whatever he says, people are going to quote it. He, yep. he's, he's, he's at that level where he has probably more influence than almost anyone in the sport at this point. And I got a feeling that Hamilton will have the attitude of he's got nothing to lose by making these kind of comments. Because most likely, the people that will listen, those Hamilton fans, will take his side. They'll take his side and they'll, they'll start shouting conspiracy even louder because... Hamilton's got nothing to lose in this in, in this scenario. I mean, sure, the people that are more neutral may just call bullshit on it, but at the same time, the Hamilton fan base is so enormous and so vocal often about what his driver gets up to because he's, they're obviously their boy is the centre of Formula 1 at this point in time, that he hasn't really got anything to lose by leaving that door open. Nope. Like, he's not going to have a flood of people bashing for it because... Like, the voice of the casual, I'd argue, is less than the voice of the Hamilton fan base. I mean, Sarah, you've seen my Twitter. You, you, you've seen that, you know, people can get very, very passionate about Hamilton comments. And yeah. King, you you, yeah. you you know you know it too. You've seen it, you've seen it yourself. Yeah. Anyone you know, the that, ham caping is always strong, but, you know, it's one of those things. It's one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> anyone, go on, Sarah, you were saying? Sorry, anyone that tries to, you know, speak out against him is going to easily get shouted down by his fan base. So yeah, no, I, yes. I they're, they're the most loud, most vocal part of Twitter or part of F1 Twitter, at least. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, Hamilton's got nothing to lose by making comments and keeping the conspiracy door open because people, it will mean that the hardcores will be on his side even more. And it's a shame because like, again, like anyone with half a brain cell will know Merckx would never sabotage Dicker. They've got a Constructors' Championship to win. That's their number one priority. Taking points out of their own driver's hands is the stupidest thing they could possibly do. And especially when that team is often so scared of Ferrari, even though we know that Ferrari right now is not a threat. <laughs> like, <laughs> how many times has how many times have Merckx acted like they're like they're shit scared of Ferrari, even though we all know they're still probably about three or four temps faster than Ferrari on paper right now. It's it's funny. That's why I say Brackley Grass to describe them because how paranoid they are. <laughs> but earlier earlier in the weekend, Rosberg said to the press, yeah, we should really stop saying that we're that Ferrari are closer than they actually are. <laughs> like, Rosberg's given up the ghost at this one. It's like, yeah, yeah, they're kind of shit. You know that, right? <laughs> it just ain't good enough. Uh, yeah, it's like, who are we trying to fool? If anything, that kind of paranoid mantra only pisses people off when they win because it's like well what are you so freaking scared of <laughs> like because i mean we've been in an era now where i think if my maths is right mercs have won 36 out of the 42 hybrid era races that we've had so far like they're not a threat ferrari are not a threat right now it's they're just they're just not and i i, I know people are begging Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel in particular to be involved but even I've given up on it at this point like I, I said after the, I said during the race Vettel's not winning the championship like like it's over at this point in time um after you know effectively losing 25 points to Nico Rosberg like that I just think like you know what we're done here <laughs> yeah, yeah. so and this is coming from me one of the most hardcore Vettel fans you will see on the internet so I mean, again I just don't see them as a threat I don't see why anyone sees them as a threat right now like like if, if Ferrari are not winning 10 races a year then what's the point I mean th they have a long way to go from three wins in a season to 10 it's 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 enormous and they're not there yet in my opinion but uh 
Moving on to slightly further incidents further down the field. Rebel Racing debuted their new aero screen uh, as their as their interpretation of uh, cockpit protection for the sport going forward. And King, it, it's it's a it's a it's a, de- it's a decent looker. We'll give it that, right? That that, that counts for something, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> right. I would say, yeah, <laughs> it, it looks good. I, uh, that's that's pretty much all I can say about it. It looks good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's just one of those things. Um, it's it's a nice looking thing on the car. I can't lie. Like, I have no problem if that was uh, uh, from an aesthetic standpoint. Even though the aesthetics really really should matter here. Red Bull were uh, actually you may have seen that they released a couple of videos um, of their aero screen in cockpit. They had a they had a tire flung at it. It's I think it was something like 140 miles an hour, and it just bounced right off of it. it was quite, I was like, whoa, that's <laughs> impressive. And they were throwing one kilogram weights at it at, um, again, over 120 miles an hour, and again, just did the, the air screen just deflected it right off, exactly what you'd expect it to do. But of course, just like we had last time, uh, it divided opinions, and uh, shout out to Lewis Hamilton once again for taking the immature ray out by saying, oh, as long as it doesn't ruin the coolness of Formula One, whatever the hell that actually means. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what that even means anymore these days. Like, what's cool about Formula One these days? <laughs> I mean, really, let's, let's think about this here. But, you know, as long as it doesn't ruin the aesthetics of the car. But we know Lewis Hamilton's not really a cockpit guy. And he's not really a safety guy. I mean, after all, his hero was Ayrton Senna, and he was the last guy on Earth calling for safety. Um, that's just one of those things. Sarah? I mean, what did you, what did you make of it all? I mean, I, I think that it's it. I think it looks pretty solid, and I think if it works and it's proven to work by the FIA, I'd have no problem with it going forward. Would you? No, not at all. I mean, honestly, I did watch the videos of them throwing stuff at it, and uh, you know, it having been at Pocono last year, I can say that it probably would have prevented you know one of the deaths last year at least. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because yeah, that's exactly what—that's exactly the sort of thing that would have that would have prevented that accident from even happening. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm all for it. I think that um, you know it's not just Hamilton; it's also you know Hulkenberg has spoken out about about not mm-hmm. bringing in extra mm-hmm. safety. It's been a couple of the guys. Um, I'm really glad that Alonso and a few of the other guys have yes. spoken yes. out in defense of it uh, because you know. Formula One is always going to be very exciting. It's always going to be, you know, the fastest cars in the world doing the, you know, craziest technology that isn't, you know, electric cars. Um, and maybe if it's a little bit safer, guys will be willing to take more risks. You know, there's there's always going to be a push and pull with the safety regulations. Why not make it as safe as possible? I don't go to races to see people die. I go to races to see really cool overtaking. I go to see, you know, crashes where I know the guys are going to climb out of the car at the end of the day. Um, I don't go to see people die. And so if if, if this is what's going to keep that from happening, then freaking do it. Just do it. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more personally. And uh, again, I was I was I, I found Alonso's take on it incredibly refreshing mm-hmm. to to have a F one veteran of things. He's, he's been around since two thousand and one. People forget that this is fourth. This is fifteenth season in Formula One for Fernando Alonso, and he came out on the on the line that stuck out to me most was, "There's no need for us to be heroes." Right. And you know, F1 drivers are already admired enough. They're racing drivers. The people that are passionate about them will be passionate about them, regardless of whether they drive a car at 10 miles an hour or 200. And 
if if it saves a life, then it's automatically worth it, quite frankly. If it saves one person's life, I'm all for it, quite frankly. So, I, again, I, I still don't see why people are just so dismissive about this, like it's completely unnecessary. I, I, I strongly believe that... I, I believe we should never stop looking for a way to improve on safety. I said this time and again on the podcast. I've said it in public too. I said, listen, like again, and Sarah's absolutely right. There will always be a push and pull because people genuinely believe that the, the danger in Formula One is a marketing pull to watch the sport. Like people watch for the danger, and I'm like, I'm sure, I'm sure you do. And but at the same so time, at the same time, you have to qualify you, what danger means. You know. Yeah, there's always going to be a danger of crashes. Like, that's no matter what you do to these cars, you're always going to be in danger of crashing them, you know? What you need to resolve with yourself is whether you're okay with people dying in those crashes or crawling out of them with minor injuries. I mean, if... Well, I've got to be careful how I word this, but it's like, if you're okay with people dying in a car, then that's on you, ultimately. that That's your prerogative. You're entitled to believe whatever you want to believe when you watch. Me, personally, I found it a bit upsetting when I saw people push so strongly against cockpit protection and driver protection, but then absolutely cry and lead a, a, a absolute boatload of Jules Bianchi tributes and Justin Wilson tributes when they died, when... When you, when you think about it, if we pushed for these things earlier, they could have been they could have been prevented. Not not so much in Jules' case because of the nature of his crash, but certainly in the case of Justin Wilson yep. um, last year. So I mean, you, you can't have this both ways. You can't be the kind of person to lead the tributes, but also deny something that could potentially save his life or could have saved his life down the road. I think that's just silly, in my opinion. So again, I'm all for it. If it if it's proven to be effective enough to, to be able to run, I'm totally okay with it. And uh, yeah, good job on the Red Bull guys on that one. Uh, nice nice interpretation of uh, copy protection there from the guys at Red Bull. Um, so yeah, shout out to those guys. Though I Lost. should add, oh, go on, King. Um, go on, King. One of the things that bit like stuck out to me over the past weekend, the Russian Grand Prix, is the amount of debris that gets loose from these cars, where after Vettel's crash, he was physically able to pick up his entire front wing and stick it in the cockpit, <laughs> where it's like, um, maybe we should be stopping that from happening, so there isn't, like, entire front wings bouncing across the racetrack. That that would help safety a lot. Well, I mean, that's... That's a very good point. That's what happened in Justin that. Wilson's crash, is Sage Karam's whole front wing hit him. You know? Yeah, and, you're right. And... <laughs> And that's the first thing that IndyCar addresses. Like, yeah, we're going to tether the wings to the cars now. Because yep. that, that's smart. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's what they did with the wheels, too. I mean, there's... You're right. There's other things that they can approach with these safety issues. Absolutely agreed. Um, it's one of those things where there's there's more than one approach. I mean, like I said, IndyCar took a different approach to try to, uh, you know, have less flying debris instead of, you know, protecting the cockpit because we know that the halo we saw in, in Spain with Ferrari was just not feasible for IndyCar given the banking on oval tracks. And obviously the level of visibility um, would be a, a big a big issue there. But um, again, they're, they're... I love John Beakers' video on the IndyCar YouTube channel talking about that and talking about how wheel tethers and you know, tethering more parts of the car in general could be a good idea to improve safety. And I think it's... I think, again, that's a great idea. Um, moving on, King. We have, like, after much discussions and uh, one failed vote because there was not enough people showing up to their fax machines, 
which is just amazing to say about the state of Formula One in 2016, where we can't use, like, people are not checking their friggin' fax machines. I, I, I just find that mind-boggling. But after one failed vote, the teams have finally agreed on engine regulations for 2017, King, and it looks like it's, um... We're going to be getting some changes, King. Yep, uh, more power, because... Um, I mean... Yeah, more engine power. You know, raise the fuel flow limit because all the teams except Mercedes wanted it, so that's going to be a thing. Yep, it got voted through. I think they needed. I think it was seven a majority vote, so seven out of seven out of eleven um, would have. Well, six out of eleven would have been enough. Uh, my maths is a bit bad today, but uh, yeah, seven out of eleven would have been enough. But apparently, all the Mercs teams, so that's Mercedes, Williams, Force India, and Manor vetoed this, uh, but it wasn't enough to obviously cancel it. Or everybody else was for it. The fuel flow limit is now one hundred and five kilos for a race instead of the one hundred we used to see when they used to have all those fuel graphics up on the screen during races. That was the that was the arc, that was the yard. It's gone up to 105 now, so that means teams can run richer fuel settings and, uh, generally speaking, have more power. Uh, the reason that the, the Mercs voted against it was uh, they're trying to keep F1 more green. <laughs> yeah, that's a good joke. That's, that, that's a great joke there, Toto. You know, the, the fact you, you know, fly these fly crews and, and, and parts all around the world with gas guzzling in planes, and you talk about, oh no, the extra five kilos of fuel. It, it's it, it's such it's such a bad thing for the environment, you guys. <laughs> uh, so yeah, shout out to Toto Wolf for, for trying to play the political card very badly on that one. But uh, the fuel limit is now 105 kilos, so they're going to be more powerful. They're also going to be cheaper. Uh, the, the engines will be 1 million euros cheaper next year. And I think, King, is it 3 million more cheaper in 2018, I want to say? Something like that? Yeah, something like that. Also, they're pushing... I forget what they're going to make the power unit limit. I think they're pushing for three power units over the entire season. Oh That's crazy. <laughs> like, three for a 21-race calendar? That's going to be You're gonna make an engine yards last seven weekends. <laughs> That's crazy, uh, but um, good luck having that come through. About half the field having grid penalties later in the year. I was going to say, <laughs> what's the what's the over under on grid penalties related to this, and how many of them will be McLaren? Oh, God. <laughs> like, I'm at what point? Over at what point do you just like call it a wash and just like not show up, or, or just yeah, keep yeah. the penalties because you know I'm, they won't actually affect anything? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm setting the over under to 99 and a half. Take the over, quite frankly, um, because that's that that's not going to end well. That, that, that's going to be a bit of a farce at the end of the season because we we like guys like Vettel and Hamilton are already on their third power unit parts of some parts of their engine. They're already on number three, so and we're only four rounds in. Like if if, if an engine goes pop at some point during the weekend, you've had it. You've got to make a race engine part now last seven weekends. That's just ridiculous. And good luck with that one, fellas. Um, and I, I did see about this King. Manisha Keltenborn talked about this quite openly over at Sauber, that it looks like they're not going to have the funds to be able to keep this going for much longer because they said the money they're getting from Bernie uh, as well as the sponsorship package they're getting, it's just not enough given these engine costs, even with the price coming down over the next few seasons. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a sober issue because Bernie's prize money never covers everything unless you're Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes, or McLaren. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those things. Uh, oof, man. 
it's, it's Sauber really are feeling the pinch on this one. We've, we've seen the stories about how they struggled to pay their staff, and uh, you know that the, there was already a heavy rumor going around they might not make the next round. As they're, they're living hand to mouth at the moment, which is never a, a good sign. So again, I, I wish Sauber continued luck going forward, but uh, oof, it's not looking good for that for that team right now from a performance standpoint and from a logistical standpoint as well, which is just not good. We've got to be talked about Formula One for the last hour or so, so let's talk a little bit of IndyCar, and uh, I'm going to let our uh, Bostonian chum lead the charge on this one, because uh, sad news, the IndyCar Grand Prix of Boston has been cancelled. Sarah, what are we going to do? I'm so sad. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I'm still kind of reeling about this. Like, I'm uh, The closest race to me is Pocono now, so I'll go to that again, obviously, and that's great, but like... I don't know. I was supposed to move the week before this race, and I was, like, planning it all out around the fact that I was going to have about ten people staying in my apartment for this. And <laughs> oh, wow. now I just don't know what I'm doing anymore. Everything is everything is pain. Um, mostly what I'm upset you, you, about, and this is going to sound kind of dumb, but it's true, is... You know, you always see all these hilarious IndyCar video promos they do for every race. You know, they send a couple oh, yeah. drivers to the city, they make them eat the food, they make them do dumb shit. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to have this now. I'm so sad. <laughs> no honorary Joseph Newgarden goes to a Dunkin' Donuts somewhere in Boston and just devours himself, which, is, which given he's such a fitness freak, is probably going to kill him yeah. uh, more than likely. <laughs> But, I mean, uh, no, no, yeah, no, that, that would have been pretty cool, cool to see, actually, because I know what I know. Boston is like the craziest sports town in the world, yeah, let right? alone, you know. Boo! Someone <laughs> <laughs> asked you. <laughs> yeah, says the New Yorker in the background there. <laughs> oh, how, yeah, but, uh, yeah. how did that Yankees we, Red Sox series go this week? Oh, I think oh, it God. went pretty well for us, actually. <laughs> oh God! Don't talk about the Yankees. <laughs> They're very bad right now. It's pretty good. I, I love that civil war has broken out on the middle of the podcast. It's hilarious. <laughs> but, but yes, yes. I'm sad there isn't a GP in Boston because I was going to go up there, sleep on my former roommate's couch, just like, oh, time not to die in Austin today. <laughs> oh, my God. He lives in Austin. That's glorious. Yes. <laughs> That's glorious. Um, no, I. you know, I'm disappointed, but I understand why it's not happening. Um, and that would be because mm. Boston sucks. Um, <laughs> in, terms of, much. in terms of stuff like this, you know, you try to do any, any sort of, you know, new sports thing where they're going to have to shut down streets for a while, blah, 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 blah. It's not going to go through. I was talking to someone the other day and they brought up a very good point and it was, imagine trying to convince the city of Boston in the year 2016 to do the Boston marathon for the first time. Oh, that would uh, never, <laughs> ever, ever happen, ever, ever. You know, it's just, it's the way this city works. It's all the not-in-my-backyard people that ruin everything. Um, and that's just the way it's going to be. And, you know, I was I was really, really amazed that it had gotten as far as it did. Um, but there was always kind of the little inkling in the back of your mind that, okay, who's going to actually ruin this for us? And it happened. Oh, so, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like, I have a quote here from John Casey, the CEO and president of the Grand Prix of Boston, and he said, um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure they tried to voluntarily torpedo it, but it's the nature of the beast in Boston. They give you, they give you their support, but it just means they won't screw you. Yeah. 
Yeah, there was also a reference, I think if it's the same article I read, where he talks about it being like an abusive relationship, where, <laughs> you know, Boston gave them a bunch of hoops to jump through, and they jumped through all of them, and then asked a favor of Boston to, like, help them out with something, and Boston was just like, no, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, I, the course would have been great. Like, the track looked fantastic. Um, I'm really disappointed. I'm really disappointed. And I hope that they do find an alternative venue for uh, Labor Day weekend. Because if they don't, that that gives like a month and uh, I think it's four or five weeks between Pocono and whatever the next race of the season is. Yeah, the finale at Sonoma is the the race afterwards. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think IndyCar needs a month break. Um, no, yeah. that out, if also, anything, it's if anything, it's yeah. Sorry, sorry to cut you, Sarah. It's, it's anything. It's a series that likes having its races as close together yep. as possible. That's how it was. I mean, at one point last year, there was eight races in the space of ten weeks. That's true. So, yep. so, so at this yeah. point, at this point, we have fourteen races on the calendar, which makes it the shortest season since I believe two thousand six, uh, which isn't a great look for the series, if we're being honest. Oh. And even like even that, you have to put an asterisk next to it because Champ Car still existed. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I hope yeah. I hope they come up with something. I know before the podcast you had talked about uh, what is the is it the St. Louis? What's it called? Yeah, I have a list of alternatives. The series is look is looking at for Labor Day, where it's well, the Boston CEO he wants to move the race to Providence, Rhode Island. While the series is looking at moving to either they're looking they're aiming for an oval, but if they can't get an oval, they're looking at Watkins Glen as an alternative. They're looking at uh, Gateway Motorsports Park in Madison, Illinois, which is outside of uh, St. Louis, and they're also looking at uh, New Hampshire New Hampshire Motor Speedway, which is obviously in New Hampshire in, in New England, so it's not that large of a jump from Boston. Uh, yeah, okay, so that's interesting. Like, I just want more Kings Glen back. I just, I just do. Like, <laughs> yeah, the problem like, with some of these are that uh, there's another know. race series running at Watkins Glen that weekend. Um, the problem with Ugh. New Hampshire Motor Speedway is that there's giant conflicts with the owners of New Hampshire Motor Speedway, so that probably yeah. won't happen. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It'd be cool to see Watkins Glen come back onto the schedule. Yeah, like, Dre, if you don't know, Watkins Glen was the site of a very, very ridiculous race that they tried to run in the rain, it's an oval, and Will Power subsequently giving the double birds the, to the steward's box. Wait, you mean New, uh, Hampshire, New yes. Hampshire, right? Yes, New yeah, Hampshire, yeah. New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah, wait, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, that was hilarious. <laughs> wait, wait, I think, I think I may have seen the video of that. Was that the one where Danica Patrick caused an accident? Yes. Yes. It, yes, ah, it was. Of course. That's the one in the course that led to Willpower breaking the internet with the double bird salute. Yes, yes that is absolutely glorious. God bless Willpower. I've said it before, like, Will, Willpower gets an exemption from any and all slander for that moment alone. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> like, I wouldn't give him that. I wouldn't give him that. No, no, no. He gets a lifetime exemption. It's like it's like the golden ticket like that Larry Nance Jr. got unshacked in a fool last year on Inside the NBA. He admitted his own foolishness, <laughs> and therefore he gets a lifetime exemption from Shaqton. This is my Shaqton for willpower. Suck it up. Uh, <laughs> another suggestion, but it was obviously like with a grain of salt because of the temperatures that time of year was 
Fontana. It's like, yeah, that it would be great to have, you know, Auto Club Speedway back in the calendar, but having it literally at the beginning of September in Southern California is not, not a great ideal. Look. Not ideal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not ideal at all there, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of alternatives. I hope IndyCar does something. I like the, the calendar being how it was, um, to have more rounds and whatnot, and just, uh, just it's a shame that Boston's had to go, because I was actually looking forward to seeing the street race in Boston, I was immediately thinking of Sarah when I, was, when I first said it, I was like, oh, oh yes, Sarah, you get a home race, I nice. Could, I could have walked uh, there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and then it's, it's just a shame that's not going to happen, but uh, yeah, I'm sure the Connors World Tour of IndyCar is going to, uh, recover somewhat yeah. from. Uh, also, before, before, before we wrap this up, you were going to have ten people in your apartment. That might be an exaggeration, but it was going to be a lot. <laughs> like a lot of people found out about this race and they were like, "Okay, we're coming to stay with you for this." And I said yes to everybody because obviously, like, I want to take every opportunity to show people how great my city is. Um, and now awesome. I don't get to. Well, luckily, like in my situation, I'm like the only like racing fan in my group of friends. So it's like, yeah, can I stay at your apartment? I'm the only person. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that Sarah. And obviously, Sarah turned. I think um, she turned 21 at the end at the start of the year. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm so old. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you guys. Hate you guys. See, see, do you like, do you like what I did there, Sarah? Do you like what I did I there? Did. I do. <laughs> I appreciate that a lot. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, I'm glad. The joke I was going to say was that it's like she's having a college frat party in her apartment. I know. For the, the IndyCar Boston weekend. Throwback uh, Thursday. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would have been a real shame having like 15 people in Connor's apartment partying <laughs> over sure. IndyCar and, and cracking all the James Hinchcliffe jokes all the way. That would have been glorious. Yeah, that would have been beautiful. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like... Just before we go, a couple of extra little stories I want to wrap up with here. Um, King, we got to talk about this because like, this, this is the bike story. And Efren Vasquez just lost his Moto2 seat after just three, after just four rounds of the championship over there in MotoGP. Um, he's on the lead suitor, which is just a you know, terrible chassis these days in Moto2, given the spec series that it is. But uh, it was David Emmett, one, one of our one of my favorite journalists um, in there, uh, that that that. Uh, you know, we, we, we talked about it and, uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit and he talked about how, you know, Moto2 may not necessarily prepare people for a MotoGP ride down the road. And I wanted, I wanted your take on this. Like, I, I just feel like I, I mentioned, I mentioned this on Bike Live like a, few, a few weeks ago when we were talking about Jeremy McWilliams debuting at 50 in MotoGP. <laughs> I'm sorry, Moto2, I should say, with, 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 at Silverstone. But, like... Are intermediate classes starting to lose their usefulness? Because, like, I look at Moto2's roster and I say, dang, that's a lot of wasted talent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel that way about Moto2. I feel that way about MotoGP now, where there's a lot of talent. I mean, a lot of talent in um, GP2, and you know that they're never going to reach Formula 1. It's basically just sitting out there until they decide to give up or run out of cash and can't compete anymore. And it's it's a bit of a heartbreak where the intermediate class in, you know, in Formula 1 or MotoGP, it's not meant to be a second division where you could have a career there. It's meant to be a development a development league for the upper class and when you age out of being, you know, 
your optimum your optimum skill level for the upper class you're basically no longer useful for the intermediate teams so they basically just drop you and kick you off to the side and just like you youngin your turn now and yeah it, 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 it's, it's like a conveyor belt it's like a it's like a conveyor belt into like a disappearing wedge and it's pretty sad yeah, I mean, that's something I've noticed over the years watching Moto2, and it's like, I've noticed that there's two kinds of elite rider in Moto2. There's what we call the aliens, and that's the people like Maverick Vinales, Alex Rins now in Moto2, uh, Mark Marquez when he was there, Paul Espagaro, guys that tend to win very quickly in their first or maybe second seasons in the class. And the other elite riders, probably the guys like Tito Rabat, what we're seeing now with Johan Zarco and Sam Lowe's, guys that have done three, four, maybe five seasons that are more like late bloomers but are probably have already left it too late to have prolific MotoGP careers because like look at Rabat now he's debuting in MotoGP now at 26 and he's nowhere without Mark VDS team right now and we're now starting to see a trend of guys that are trying to jump the class altogether we saw it with Jack Miller um, three years ago when he jumped from uh, Red Bull KTM. Shout out to King's KTM boys there. Uh, <laughs> Jack Miller jumping up from KTM in Moto3 straight to the top class. And uh, we saw it um, We saw it as well. Danny Kenton was offered the chance to do when he won the Moto3 World Championship. He was offered the chance to ride for Pramac this year and he turned it down for a Moto2 seat. So we've had, we've had two different sides of the same coin essentially. And Sarah, I know you're a big gp2 follower um with uh and i know you're looking forward to cheering on racing engineering later this year with uh, jordan king and yep. whatnot uh, pardon the pun but, but um like how, do you have a feeling about this with gp2 because i know i'm not the biggest gp2 watcher i can't lie but it must get a little bit weird seeing the same names in there after like four or five years like um like a johnny Chicotto, for example i think he's done five years in gp2 now and whatnot and guys that you know just you know, are probably just never going to make it to, to, to F1, but are just there in GP2 biding their time. Do you, do, you have, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it does kind of feel like after the, you know, if you don't make it to F1 after your third year and you wallow in GP2 for a couple more years after that, it never seems like these guys are going to get anywhere with F1. And a lot of the times you do. You do see them transition to, you know, world endurance racing or, or you know, a number of other series that aren't F1. But yeah, GP2, I mean, it's marketed as, you know, the, the, the minor leagues of Formula One rather as its own, rather than as its own standalone series. Um, and I don't know if, you know, I don't know how I feel about it, honestly. Like, you, you even have the guys that win GP2 that aren't necessarily guaranteed a seat. You know, it's nice that Stoffel Van Dorn is, is, you know, working as the, uh, deve- or is it, he's the development driver. For McLaren right now, um, yeah, yep, essentially, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know why? Why should he have to wait around a year to get a seat in Formula One if he's won GP two? Um, the fact that you can't go back to GP two after you win it once, yeah, yeah. I think is also gonna hurt that series if they're not mm-hmm. going right to F one. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of bits and pieces about it that that I wish were better. Um, and, and, you know, I do think that it has value as a support series for Formula One, um, but maybe not in the way its current iteration is, and maybe not with, you know, some of the rules that they have currently. Yeah, I, I said it before, I think the champions rule there is ridiculous. I think, I think you know, being, being unable to enter 
Um, that as a series, if you win the championship, I think is silly because it only works if there's a guaranteed seat for you in in Formula One. That's when it that's when it's effective. If you know the champion gets an automatic entry, then it works just fine. We we get that in Indy Lights and IndyCar now. We're seeing that with a. Uh, Spencer Piggott now, who's going to be uh, doing free races this year, including this GP of Indy coming up um, yep. next weekend. But um, like it, it works over there when you know that the, there's an absolute final prize to it. You can win the GP2 title and not get a seat right away. And like Julian Palmer got a little bit lucky that um, Renault yes. did make way for him um, because he could have easily been a guy that got lost in the shuffle because he did. I think he did three years in, in, in actually three or four years in GP2 when he won the championship and he spent a year as Renault's reserve. We saw it with Davide Valsecchi in that same unit yep. just I think two or two years prior where. He was meant to be the third driver. You'd think the, the opportunity for him was begging there when Kimi Raikkonen decided to quit the rest of the season. Um, and they said they gave Haki Kovalainen a call. That's right. So it was just like... like did you see how many awkward camera cuts they cut to Davide Valsecchi during that Brazil weekend where Haki was in his car? It's just like... It's, 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 I felt awful for the kid. It was such a, it was such a terrible situation for him to, to be in. And it just showed... The, the flaws in the current development system where you know what's the point of gp2 being a developmental category or developmental class if nobody ever gets in right um, I, and i do unless, i do think that i do think that the way they do it in indie lights is really great where they give the guy a scholarship to go into um indycar the next year if they win like with spencer piggott like that's that's pretty great um but I mean, then again, over in Europe, you have guys like Kevin Magnussen who sat out for a year. Why not let him get back into GP2 for, for a season? Um, you know, give let Stoffel Vandoorne drive there for a year. Let, you know, if last year, Jolien Palmer could have gone back in. You know, if there's no guaranteed bonus to winning GP2, then why have the champions rule? Yeah, I mean, Formula 2, like, before GP2 and its predecessor, Formula 3000, there was Formula 2, and it kind of worked backwards to how you think a development series should work, where Formula 2 was meant for drivers who couldn't get a seat in F1, so it ended up being the second division, and, you know, traditionally F1 has a race and a week off than another race. In, in that, that off week, that's when Formula 2 would race. So you would get F1 drivers racing in Formula 2. Yeah, no, I, and, I, I've read about this. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, and basically they had to come up with a grading system to keep the series, like, the European Formula 2 championship being won by F1 drivers. So the grading system was, if you... I forget if you competed in like a certain number of F1 Grand Prix in a single season, or if you were last year's F2 championship, you couldn't score points. You could still race in F2, but you just couldn't score points. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see them do some sort of system like that, except if you had a certain number of points, they added like a certain amount of ballast to your car. <laughs> yes. Like that would be fun. <laughs> Like it, sh it should be like a fun addition to the right. to like the F one C and to to give fans something to watch during the off weeks or even make it, you know, a support series of Formula One itself, just like GP two. Right, 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 right. I'd love to see. Yeah. <laughs> indeed yeah the nature of intermediate classes they are a cruel and most fickle mistress indeed and that it will just about do it for motorsport 101 also shout out to formula one management yo and uh <laughs> king did you see this on sunday uh, uh no no, no. <laughs> 
Did I tell you what happened, right? I was... I, I did this once before where I streamed the German Grand Prix of 2007 on Twitch. Um, and we had a great time, and people really, really liked it. So I thought, let me do it again sometime to test out this new PC and whatnot. So I did it for um, to cheer me up after a miserable Russia weekend. We thought, Let, let's play Monza 2008. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what, what happened in that race that was so prevalent? Um, but anyway, I, I started streaming out there, and after about 30 minutes... Like, the FOM actually got a hold of it. They shut my channel down, and I've been IP banned from Twitch. <laughs> oh, my God. oh, my God. I can no longer use Twitch as long as I have this IP address. Wow. Oh my God. I, I, I was astonished when I found this out. Like... Holy crap. I was like, okay, it's not a big deal. I'll just make a new account. We'll do it again. So, no, I, 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 as long as I use this IP address, I can no longer use Twitch. So I'm taking you my move, talents until... to YouTube gaming, <laughs> clearly. I am astonished that the FOM is clamping down this hard on copyright. I mean, we talked about it on last week's show where we talked about they were going after gift makers. They were taking down WEC fan videos of them at the event, which is just completely ridiculous. I know Tiamat Marduk got hit with a hit, hit with a ban on one of his videos um, earlier this week, which is amazing given it's the, it's, it's, the, it's the FOM's own licensed product. And the FOM actually banned his video for using gameplay from the games. It's just, it's just fine. It's just amazing that <laughs> they're willing to go that far. It's They are really clamping down. I... I, I I can un like okay. I'm, I admit I was a bit naughty in doing what I did on Twitch, but to get an IP ban from them is, I think, is just way over the top. Like if YouTube would get one copyright strike, not a big deal. You might get some of your, re your channel privileges revoked for a little bit, but that's the end of the that's the end of it. But man, <laughs> the FOM are going full like ridiculous crazy um on uh that like like king like i'm stunned at how protected they are over their video library it's 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 amazing like it, it must be unblemished <laughs> like king it, it, i'm telling you man it's crazy you, you should you should have been there last night it was hilarious <laughs> oh, if, if i knew this was happening i would have tried to be there but oh my god just just to hear that it's like they're really just like historic videos. Nope, nope, they can't go up. They can't go up. They just can't. And there's no possible way to, to access that access their video library legally. The only way you could if is if you own the broadcasting rights itself. So only like Sky and NBC has access to the library. And they're not airing any of these races. Maybe Sky sometimes, but not in their entirety. No, highlights, extended highlights and whatnot. Again, We've mentioned it before, I think the FOM are chronically misusing their golden video library of content, because, I mean, I said it before, if somebody put, like, a WWE-esque network style or UFC Fight Pass style video library of all the F1 races they have on TV, people would pay money for that, Absolutely. rather than feeling bad about having to torrent the damn thing every, every, every time they want to see an older <laughs> race. So, again, I think the FOM are missing a blatant trick here. But then again, it's the FOM. They still think it's 1968. So what? So, so I can't help them on that one. So, FOM, hire me. Seriously. I turn your <laughs> video library around in two weeks. Promise. Promise. Meanwhile. <laughs> like I'm, sh I'm, shamelessly, I'm shamelessly plugging it now. But uh, speaking of shameless plugs, Sarah, talk about the Grid Girls for a minute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, we've, we've been having a good time. Um, we're going to be recording, actually, probably sometime this week. Uh, we will have Naomi Panter from 
uh, the Mahindra Formula E team as a guest oh, this yes. weekend. Yes. Or, this week, rather. And uh, yeah, look for that later this week. Um, we're trucking right along. We, I was actually looking at my time hop the other day, and we've been recording this for over a year now. Um, wow. We're doing, we're, I mean, and it's a lot easier now that Sasky doesn't live in Australia. So, <laughs> you know, we're on the same time zone. Um, no, it's congratulations on the one year, by the way. Congratulations on the anniversary. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's it's amazing to like look back at some of our older shows and see how much better we've gotten. Uh, we were we were not <laughs> yeah. good at the beginning. <laughs> But, uh, Trust me, I know the feeling yeah, on this. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice to see improvement. Um, yeah, so we're, we're going to try to get some articles up on the Grid Girls soon, too. Um, it's funny that you were mentioning this whole FOM thing. I was going to say, meanwhile, in IndyCar, they put you know their old races on their YouTube channel all the time. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Which means I'm using a lot of them to practice making videos in Premiere Pro. Um, so I mm. should have something from that up shortly as well on the Grid Girls. Uh, but yeah, you can find us at thegirdgirls.com. Listen to our podcast. Come yell at us on Twitter. We enjoy it. <laughs> yep, and just echoing it from me, Saski and Sarah do a tremendous job on that podcast. They are brilliant uh, ambassadors for female motorsport fans everywhere. Um, they do a brilliant job with the Grid Girls, and I highly recommend you go out of your way to listen to them. You will not regret it. And Sarah is an absolute gem to follow on Twitter. If you can follow her at Sarah underscore Connors, please do so. <laughs> if you're a hockey fan, she, like, you're, she is an absolute must follow. It's playoffs. Um, it's going to get a little crazy. Just be warned. Yes, of course. And of course, it's playoff season. So, of course, it's going to be even more crazy given that. But absolutely give Sarah a follow. She's an absolute gem to have. And uh, I, people don't know, I actually met Sarah in person earlier this year. And she, again, she's an absolute saint. And I adore her uh, very much indeed. And uh, yeah, follow her. Follow Saskia Stewart on Twitter. Follow Elizabeth Worth as well. Follow her. She's also, she's also a gem to have as well on Twitter. And I'll see her. So, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you my full American blessing here. As honorary American <laughs> to listen to the actual Americans out here that know their shit when it comes to motorsports so absolutely do that of course you can follow me on Twitter at Harrison101HD you can follow King on Twitter at Ryan Eric King that's with a K I say it every episode just in case you're unaware people have actually messaged me saying I can't find this Twitter account I'm like, people it's, it's, it's there's a K honestly there's a K in it there's a K in a place you would not normally expect it to be. Um, but also, shout out to Sarah. I mentioned about Adobe Premiere Pro. But it's like, also, with this new PC setup of mine, I will be throwing my hat into the editing ring probably in a week or so. Probably in a week or so's time. I'm most likely going to be leaving Raceworld TV for their top five series and focusing more of my time into that. Um, so, like, hopefully we'll see a lot more podcast highlights and original content on the Motorsport 101 YouTube account in the next fortnight. You can check that out at youtube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. And if you really liked us, why not back us on Patreon? That would be really cool of you to do that. We're actually sorting the t-shirts out this week. With, uh, so shout out to Steph Hunter at Silver Code for sorting that out for us. She's an absolute saint. Um, so we'll be sorting that out if you're a $10 backer or higher in the uh, next week or so. So stay tuned for that. And of course, yeah, we're on patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. You probably knew that already if you're listening to this. But hey, who cares? Let's, let's remind everybody again. But uh, from me... From Ryan and from Sarah, thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Bye. Bye.